You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will, take your Bibles this morning, turn to Romans chapter 14, Romans chapter 14, as you're turning there, Romans 14, I was thinking as we were singing that song, um, what do you think Brother Glenn would say, uh, who is now with the Lord that would have been here on his walker just maybe three Sundays ago, about that song we just sang? I mean, he literally, he's living that, that hope that we sing about and talk about, and now and then we actually maybe feel a bit of it, but he's... He's walking on it. He's living in it. And uh, got to talk with his boy David this past week. And he was talking about he and his wife being reunited, be David's mom, Glenn's uh, wife that preceded him in death several years. And just, uh, it's a living hope. I hope you sense that today. And wherever you live right now, don't let that be what shapes your hope. Let where we eventually will live forever uh, with the Lord. So I invite you into that today. If you don't know Christ as Savior, you can know that hope. Just a couple things of note, and then we'll look at our text today and ask the Lord to bless our study. Uh, first of all, in, in view of Brother Cross and Brother Glenn, who's with the Lord today, we're having tomorrow uh, his arrangements. Tomorrow, 11 to 1, we'll be having uh, receiving or calling hours, visitation hours here. The service will be here at the church, but the visitation hours will be 11 to 1, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. here. Uh, and then the service will be right after that at 1 o'clock. Uh, so if you're able to be here to support the family, I know they would appreciate that. That's again tomorrow, 11 to 1 is the calling hours and then the service at 1 o'clock. Uh, and then secondly, next Sunday uh, is a special Sunday. We've now, I think we're into year three or four of this. I, I believe it's year three of what we call our First Responders Day. And uh, just wanted to remind you of that. That is next Sunday, October the 31st. Um, and we've tweaked a few things. I think will be an asset or a help. Uh, we're looking forward to recognizing those who serve in our emergency personnel categories. Uh, and so if you know of someone who fits that uh, category, serves in fire, police, uh, EMTs, or something else connected to that, uh, if you would uh, pick up a flyer, there's some available at our guest service table in the central lobby, and pass that out to them, or just text them, or reach out to them. I've been doing the same with everybody that I know. Some of you have family um, that maybe even live in other places, but serve here locally. Um, and if you'd invite him, we'd love to love on them and, and honor them next Sunday. Uh, Brother Stoffer, who is out speaking elsewhere this morning, he'll be speaking, uh, preaching that morning to our first responders. Uh, we'll have uh, Dan Lutz with us, one of our uh, prosecutors here in Wayne County, will be here to speak on behalf of the community to them to affirm their role uh, and several other special things planned. Our youth choirs will be singing and we'll be giving them some gifts. So I invite you to be here for the service at 1030, and then at the end, something we're adding is we will dismiss the first responders first, uh, and they will pick up lunch, um, and it's kind of a, it's not like a sit-down meal completely, almost more of like a food truck feel, as in you get a tray with a sandwich and a couple sides on it, uh, and then we'll eat, and then in the south parking lot, they're going to have some of their cruisers and things set up for the kids to be able to interact with them. And so we're excited just to add those couple of extra things versus just having them stand and we applaud and give them something. We'll still do that uh, probably, but uh, wanting to make it a little more interactive. So plan to stay for lunch. And uh, if you're willing to help in any way with especially the lunch part, uh, if you see Miss Elizabeth Wilkerson, she's kind of taking the point on that. 
But I appreciate all of you praying about that and participating in that next Sunday at 10.30 a.m. All right, Romans 14 today, and uh, this will be our final uh, study in uh, this series, Bite-Sized Spiritualities. We've kind of just tried to, as best we can, bring into just one sermon uh, an element of eternity and its implications for us. And today, we want to continue by looking at these, these verses together. Look at Romans 15, or 14, beginning in verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. And so we're looking at today the opposite side of judgment. We talked about both of them are judgments of works. Last week we talked about the great white throne judgment. That would be for the unbeliever. And now today we want to look at the judgment of our works, what we've done for Christ, and that is the judgment seat of Christ. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for these rich hymns that we have sang uh, together, have sung together, uh, Lord, and not just what they are in the present tense, but what they um, indicate about the future and our part in it with you. Uh, we're grateful for that hope that's alive today in the finished work of Christ. We pray that you would draw us closer to that, its, its realities and its significance in the here and now. I pray, Father, for each that's here today and those watching on live stream today who cannot be with us, I pray that you would use your spirit and your word to challenge us about a future that awaits each of us, Lord, as those who have put faith in you alone for salvation. This moment is as real as the moment we're in this morning. And I pray, Father, that you would sober us, but also you would motivate us, you would excite us to live with an anticipatory view of the judgment seat of Christ and what you yearn to be able to bestow upon us, again, to bring you glory and you honor. Bless this study, be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you're into the royals, as we would say, the royal family of uh, Great Britain. My brother right now serves as a missionary in London. And uh, so I now and then have interaction with him. And it's funny, to his perspective on the British culture compared to we as Americans, uh, his son Grant, uh, who is British, I mean, he's got the full accent and everything. And then my son Landon, so Grant is in Britain, Great Britain, and my son Landon is a bit of an American patriot, if you follow where this is going. So they get in debates about the colonists are a bunch of rebels, and, and that's, that's maybe the British perspective. And then from our side, you know, you guys lost and we won. Ha, ha, ha. You know, and so there's kind of this dynamic between the cousins, my son Landon and his cousin Grant. But the other day, I don't know if you track this or not, obviously Prince Philip, I think I saw the queen has been having some health things. She was supposed to travel and has been sidelined by some things she's navigating. I can't remember how old she is, but she's been serving for a lengthy period of time, to say the least. But her, her husband, Prince Philip, who passed away recently, the Duke of Edinburgh, it was just announced about a month ago uh, from the courts um, that his will, so Prince Philip's will, uh, would be sealed for the next 90 years, which struck me, and here they said there's actually a precedent for that, that the royal family, they, it just kind of a, it's out of a nod of respect and appreciation that whatever he had in that will is not pub, for public uh, consumption. Can I just say today, as it relates to what we're about to study on today, God, unlike Prince Philip or others affiliated with him, wants us to know his will. He wants us to know what he wants. 
He wants us to know what he's going to hold us accountable to, what his expectations are for us that will be brought to bear in eternity. Now, I would remind you today, as we just read, if you will, look again at the end of verse 10. It says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. May I just say to you today, it's less about the seat and it's more about who is seated there. And so as you think about the judgment seat of Christ, don't forget the Christ who is seated there, the one that loved you and gave himself for you, and therefore his expectations that he yearns for you to know uh, in advance. Just again to set the table today, after the rapture, which we believe is the next event, clearly in Scripture, that awaits God's people, where God will catch away his bride. God always removes the righteous before judging this wicked world. Noah in the flood... Uh, Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, and we as the church of Jesus Christ. But after that event, we have now a split, um, two narratives that are running. And in this world, you will have, as we alluded to briefly a few weeks ago, the world will gather around the throne of the devil himself and the Antichrist and the false prophet on earth. We who know Jesus Christ, we will be caught up to be with the Lord. We will gather around his throne. And yet, before that moment, there is this moment, this judgment seat that uh, is a precious moment, but also a sobering moment as we anticipate gathering around the throne of God. One author I was reading said this, eternity is too long to be wrong. And may I say to you, that is not just true of the unbeliever, that is also true of the believer. To get this wrong uh, will be something we will have to live with, literally, uh, for eternity. So we want God to help us today grow in our understanding. So the question today is this, in a day of Jesus being primarily just our best bud and some of that sentiment being bantered around in our midst, how do we live in light of the fact that we will stand before him in judgment of the works that we have done for him? So lastly today, the spiritual world is understood by understanding more fully two examinations by Jesus that await every believer. Let's talk about these two things today as we look at the Word of God. And we're going to look at a couple other texts today, but number one, first of all, let's talk about the fact that this seat is one of inclusion. This seat is inclusive. Uh, my son Ian, uh, who's a sophomore, he golfed uh, for the city of Worcester, for Worcester City Schools this fall, and uh, one of his golf matches was at the Worcester Country Club, and it was a rainy day, and golf goes on, unless it's like a monsoon or you have like lightning, it just just go with it. And, and it's one thing to play in the rain. It's another thing to watch golf in the rain. That's, that's fun, okay? I love my son. Uh, so anyway, the, the, the golf course there, the country club, typically, does, I don't know that they allow us to do it all the time, they let us rent carts. So you had, and it was, it was raining hard, coming down pretty briskly. So you had in one single golf cart without any clubs or anything you normally would have, but you had me driving, you had my wife riding, and then my other son, Landon, trying to find a dry spot in the back. They had like kind of like a, kind of a, a, a canvas thing to cover your clubs if it's raining. So he's back there. And we're just the three of us in what really should only be for two people. Aren't you thankful that God's future for us is inclusive? And we're going to talk about some sobering things about the judgment seat of Christ. But just the fact that I'm there is going to be a blessing. If I see you there. Uh, and others that we know, just to be included uh, in this moment as God's handing out rewards that testify of His grace and for His glory. What a glorious thing to anticipate. Now, we're going to look at a few texts today. We're not going to break them down at great length, 
But in each of these, you will notice over and over the word every is used over and over and the word all. Everybody and all things. It's, it's all inclusive. It's everybody inclusive. This, this seat, this judgment seat is inclusive. All right, let's talk about a couple of things that are included in this moment. Number one, there in your notes, now on the slides today, this will include all believers. So first of all, it's inclusive in that it includes all believers. And we began with this text in Romans 14 that reminds us that all believers will have a moment, have an appointment before this judgment seat. What does that mean for us? Let me give you a couple things under that. Number one, this judgment that's for all believers, it frees us from incorrectly judging other believers. Paul here in Romans 14 is saying, listen guys, we're all going to be judged by one judge. And when we know that, it frees us from incorrectly judging other believers. And notice that Paul here includes not just others, but himself. He says, we shall all, we, even me, Paul, the apostle, the one writing this text, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And may I say to you today, lovingly and yet directly today, on this day and in this moment that's being described, all the meaningless Meaningless differences and disagreements and pettiness that's between us, I'm telling you, it's not going to matter. It's going to be you and God. It's going to be me and God. It's a judgment that at least should affect and sanctify our interaction with others. Now, just briefly, again, because I think we would be remiss to not address it. In Matthew 7, Christ says, judge not. Does he not? Judge not that you be not judged, and he talks about how to judge, and the beam, and the eye, and the splinter, and all that goes with that. May I just remind you today, the Bible is not saying we can't ever judge another believer, but here it is, listen to me. Before we ever make a judgment call as it relates to another believer, we must first acknowledge that we both are under one judge. And often it's our lack of humility and sobriety that I will be judged by God, that creates in us the wrong tone, the wrong flavor of judgment that we often wield against one another. I'm not saying you can't ever confront or rebuke someone who's wrong, but it ought to always be with, hey, don't you know that we both are going to stand before God? Not you're going to stand before God, or kind of we distance ourselves from our own personal accountability. And so we must remember that we all uh, will stand before the same ultimate judge. And I love you enough to say this today. I think often our, hyper, our, our hypercritical, petty spirit reveals that we've forgotten about this moment. The divisiveness amongst us, the pettiness, the nitpickiness that often we, plagues you and I is because we've forgotten about this judgment. And so this judgment frees us from incorrectly judging other believers. I'm telling you, that's freeing. To focus on my time with God someday and let that be primarily where my focus lies. All right, look at verse 11. He goes on to say, For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Number two, jot this down. This judgment focuses us upon self-examination. Paul here is dealing with meat offered to idols and all kinds of disagreements in the Roman uh, community of believers. And he tries to bring them back with all of their differences to focus upon self-examination. And so in verse 11 here, Paul, to reinforce the certainty of the fact we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he quotes here from Isaiah 45 and verse 23 where God says, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess 
that I am Lord. And so it, it's affirming that ultimately it is only our uh, examination that we should focus primarily upon. Verse 12, so then every one of us should give an account of himself to God. Is it not clear here in verse 12 that we will ultimately give account of ourselves and not of our brothers before God? Now, I'm not saying we will not give account for our influence and our example, but I'm saying ultimately I will stand before God and answer not for you, I will answer for me. And that doesn't make it easier. That makes it tougher. That makes it more challenging for me, and I'll do the same for you. We will all give account of ourselves. Tonight we're observing the Lord's table, and I hope you'll be with us at 5.30 for that. But you know there's the phrase there where it talks about, let a man examine himself. The Lord's Supper is not a place to examine one another. It's not for me to dissect you or you to dissect me. It's for us to examine ourselves. The Lord's Supper. And so all of this plays into self-examination. Would you prepare for this moment by focusing primarily upon that? So today I see in our ranks, do you not, the self-righteous judgmentalism that often plagues our, our churches and our families. And that judgmentalism is often the result of forgetting that the judgment that we should primarily focus upon is our own uh, before the Lord. I've had people come to me who have confronted me on things in two different ways. Some that they're focused on me and where I come short. There's a pride, there's a criticism, there's a hypocrisy. And then there's someone who's truly helped me because they're shaking, they're sobered by their own judgment, someday they will stand in, and they want to help me, they want to bless me. May that be the spirit, this will include all believers. All right, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and let's talk briefly about a second passage. It's interesting, the great white throne judgment, there really only is one passage, and we read that last time in Revelation 20. The judgment seat of Christ is a bit more um, uh, it, it has more frequency in Paul's writings especially. It comes up several times. And so we see, first of all, it includes all believers. Now notice, if you will, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 9. Wherefore we labor, Paul says, that we, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Who's he talking about here? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things, notice that, the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Number two, jot this down. Now does it include all people? Number two, it includes all works. So the judgment seat of Christ will involve all of the things we've done for him. All of them. They're going to all be scrutinized. They're going to all be examined by God. They're going to be done in the presence of the one we've claimed to do them for. It will include all works. And Paul here says what drives him, what motivates him in his perseverance to please the Lord is a desire to hear well done, to hear well done, thou good and faithful servant. He did it, all that he did for those words. And one of the things I love about God is he never lets anything slide. And we talked about last week, aren't you thankful that God is going to deal with all wrong? He's going to deal with all wrong and all wrongdoers who refuse Jesus Christ. But number two, he's also going to deal with all that's been claimed to be done in his name. What you've done and what I've done and why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Someday that will be scrutinized in a way that all of the veneer and all of the profile and all the posturing that we all have before one another, it's all stripped away and we will answer for the things we've claimed to do for him. One author I was reading said this, it's one thing to appear in a doctor's office, it's quite another to be x-rayed by him. 
And that's the difference. I think we think we're just going to walk in and the profile we've had, it just, I think we'll be jarred by uh, the deepness, the, the thoroughness of this examination. You ought to move us and motivate us in the present tense in preparation. The judgment seat of Christ will reveal our lives of service for Christ exactly as they have been. No, no additives, no subtractions. They simply will be as they are. I heard this the other day. Someone said, keeping up appearances. Have you heard of that expression? You know, trying to keep up appearances. Somebody said this, keeping up appearances is the most expensive thing in the world. And I would say it's also the most expensive thing in eternity. Trying to put on appearances, it's going to cost us dearly where we should have been more sincere in our works before the Lord. And so today, this morning, the judgment seat undeniably reminds us that pleasing God will not happen on accident. It will not be abstract. Are you, am I, intentionally preparing for it by living a life aligned with the Word and with the Spirit, which, by the way, is the only standard for pleasing Him. This seat is inclusive. All believers, all works. All right, number two. If you will go now to, let's look at a couple other passages, 1 Corinthians 3. So go back one book, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. And secondly, number 2, this seed is not only inclusive, number 2, it is positive. It is positive. So the judgment seat of Christ is soberingly inclusive. None of us are going to duck on it. None of us are going to weave on it. Number 2, not only is it soberingly inclusive, number 2, it is it's exciting, it's, it's motivating that God would allow us to be a part of this seat of uh, rewards. Um, one of the family jokes that we have amongst my boys and I and my wife is that her mom, Nana, Cindy, is her belief, and most of you grannies, grandmas out there, everybody's a winner, right? Like you would love if every competition, just hand out trophies to everybody, everybody's a winner. And if there is a loser, it's not your grandson or your granddaughter, Right? Maybe someone else's is, but mine's always a winner. Um, the other day I heard a little story. I don't know if you've heard of a guy. He was in years gone by a linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Sorry, okay, for all of you Browns fans out there. Uh, by the name of um, James Harrison, you probably have heard of this guy. He was known as an intense guy. He, would, he was very fiery in his day. Um, and he recently got some, some flack because he... Uh, was unwilling to let his sons take participation trophies. So his sons had played, I forget if it was football or what sport it was, but he forced them to return the trophies. He's like, I don't want, my, none of my boys are going to have participation trophies. And he posted this online. He said this, uh, while I'm very proud of my boys for everything they do and will encourage them till the day I die, those trophies will be given back until they earn a real trophy. I'm sorry, I'm not sorry for believing that everything in life should be earned, and I'm not about to raise two boys to be men by making them believe they're entitled to something just because they tried their best. Cause, some, uh, cause uh, because sometimes your best is not enough, and that should drive you to do better, not cry and whine until somebody gives you something to shut up and keep you happy. And he went on from there, just like participation trophies. Can I just tell you today, our view of eternity in this area is very flawed. Heaven is not an automatic. We know that, don't we? We don't believe in the universal fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man. We're hell-bent sinners that have to receive Christ to enter heaven. Number two is it relates to awards. It's not, it's not a participation trophy kind of moment. 
there are things handed out to some that aren't handed out to others. Do you follow? And so it ought to motivate us, not something we chafe under or hold against God. God told us ahead of time, did he not? He, he, he wants us, he yearned for us to enter into this positive moment uh, of provision. And so this inclusion, again, just to be careful today, the Bible does not describe the judgment seat as being judicial. Uh, it's not meeting out punishment. It's not maybe we're still not a part of uh, God's place in eternity. All of that has been dealt uh, with in the finished work of Jesus Christ. At salvation, we were delivered from all punishment, past, present, and future. This is a moment of reward. And so God reveals it to us ahead of time, not to threaten us, but to motivate us to live in light of it in the here and now. All right, let's talk about two areas as it relates to this seat being so positive. Number one, it is positive in preparation. It is positive in preparation. Um, one of the things that's open for some discussion amongst uh, biblical scholars and maybe even those of you who've studied end times things is when does the judgment seat of Christ occur? Um, what's interesting about the text we're looking at today is we don't see directly where it's indicated when will this happen. And yet I think we can infer, infer from several instances in these texts that what happens uh, after the judgment seat of Christ requires that it be done at a particular time. So if, if we have our rewards, if the judgment has occurred, then obviously those things have to happen before we need those rewards. We need that position of influence uh, that God has granted to us. And so we see that God uses this throne to prepare us uh, for eternity. Honestly, if I'm being honest with you today, I'd love to skip this judgment seat and just move into eternity. But God loves us enough and knows that part of our preparation, the final, if you will, preparation of eternity that will only enrich our experience of it cannot happen without this moment. And so he lovingly uh, prepares us through this examination. All right, let me give you a couple things under that. Number one, this judgment refines our works for eternity. And let's look here at 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 10. So this judgment, it's positive in its preparation by refining our works for eternity. Verse 10, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So he starts with the general, corporate, if you will, church application, but then brings it to the individual there at the end of verse 10. Verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if a man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And so this judgment refines our works for eternity. The word fire here is figurative, uh, at least in, in its emphasis, for judgment. More specifically, it speaks of the righteous examination, the scrutiny of God as he purges out anything that is false, that is a pretense. Um, the fire that's used here has less to do with its enlightening power and more to do with its consuming power. It's it's burning away the dross. It's burning away anything that was, was less than pleasing to him and done with the right and pure motive. 
Um, and so we see this consuming power. We see six types of material mentioned here, three that are combustible, that is, they burn up, and three that are not. Now, I have no idea how this is going to play out. Um, I, I've tried to wrestle with this. What's this going to actually look like? Are we going to smell smoke in our nostrils? Are we going to see things burning before us? There seems to be some indication of that. Um, and, and I've been kind of just thinking through, and this is just a thought in my mind. Have you ever heard of a 3D printer? You know what I mean by that? Uh, this is a picture of one. It's a little overexposed, but you'll see on the right it's kind of a spool of, of material, and then this guy is generate it's like a castle like a like a rook from a chess set or something i don't know what he's making there but where he's taking a a a linear product and making it something that's 3d it's possible that god actually creates something representing our works i don't know what that's going to look like and then that will be tested by fire but in some measurable tangible way We'll see everything that you've done in the name of the Lord, and I've done, it'll be put there in a place, and it will be scrutinized, not by how we feel about it or how, what we all think about it, the fire of God's scrutiny. God will examine, He will test, and He will refine away anything that's less than pleasing uh, to Him. What a, what a profound thought to anticipate. Everything you've done, everything I've done, all of it's there, and the honest integrity of God's fire will test it. Notice a few phrases. I, we don't have time again to exposit this text at length, but just a few key phrases that might bring this to bear in your heart today. First, notice he says, how he buildeth thereupon. Did you see that at the end of verse 10? But let every man take heed, give careful attention to how he buildeth, how he builds upon this foundation of Jesus. This phrase emphasizes the importance of our motives, how we do it, why we do it. The motives matter. Next, if you will, look at the end of verse 13. It says, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed uh, by fire. It shall be revealed by fire. Um, Notice it says at the end of the verse, uh, shall try every man's work, here's the phrase, of what sort it is. Um. I think we know this, and sometimes we use this as an excuse to not do everything we should for the Lord, but you do know that God's, God is glorified not just by the, the quantity of what we do for Him, but the quality of what we do for Him, right? Um, I'm all for, for quantity. I think we ought to sow the gospel. We ought to mobilize disciples. I hope our church grows numerically as God seems to be doing in our midst right now. But ultimately, it's about the quantity, or I'm sorry, the quality of what we do for Him. It's not just how much, it's how, how pleasing, how pure, how unadulterated is our effort uh, for the Lord. And so God is interested in the quality, not just the quantity, of our ministry for Him. And I, I, I emphasize this in our church again today. Numbers are not everything in this church, and they shouldn't be to you. It's about more than that, all because of and in light of this day. All right, notice the beginning of verse 15. It goes on to say, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Suffer loss. What does that mean? The phrase there, suffer loss, has the idea of fail to, uh, to attain or to lose one's reward. So it's, it's not loss as in I lost my salvation or I lost my eternal security. It is a failure to attain. It's a, it's a loss of one's reward. It's the void where God could have rewarded. 
is declaring that many will never attain what they could have attained if they had been uh, more faithful. Um, One author said this, it is a loss of reward, not a loss of salvation. There is no difference among the Lord's sheep, but there are differences amongst his servants. So we're all sheep of his pasture, but there are varying levels of reward for his servants. And God warns us of that and seeks to motivate us with that truth in advance. I recently had a pastor friend of mine who is out of state. He texted me. We were talking, trying to encourage each other and keep grounded in God's call in our lives as we pastors always have to work at. And he said this to me, dear friend, he said, I actually said the words privately to my wife yesterday. Sometimes I feel like what we're doing isn't making much of a difference in the people's lives around us. And then he said this statement that resonated with me. It hurts to want more for people than they want for themselves. As much as that is a challenge for we pastors, can you imagine what God wants for us? There'll be a moment we'll see that. Here's what I wanted. Here's what I wanted to do through you. Here's how I wanted to use you. Are we willing to live in light of that in the here and now? And for the first time, each of us, you and I, will fully understand what our potential in God really is. We'll see it, we'll miss it, or we'll rejoice in what God has done through us. And so may we not fail to attain. May we not lose our reward as we live in light of it here and now. By the way, as I mentioned earlier, this is a reward seat, not a judicial bench. This is a place where God will judge our performance and reward us. And so if we miss out on that, it's not a matter of losing salvation, but reward. In the example I would give you, and we'll move on, Olympics just happened, right? They pulled them off barely in Tokyo, um, had to delay it, delay it. Finally, it was able to occur. Have you ever noticed that a, uh, we watched a lot of like the track events and some of the other uh, swimming, things like that, where you would watch them at the end, they would have the music plays, right, the national anthem, and you got gold, silver, bronze. Do you see in any way the 4th, 5th, 6th, and 12th person being shamed in any way or embarrassed? There's just, I wanted one of those for my country. That's, that's the feel here. It's a loss of reward, one that we will regret, unfortunately, someday, if this is us. May we strive to obtain. May we seek to live in light of the text that God has given. All right, a couple more here. Notice he says, lastly, a phrase here in this text. He says, look at the end of verse 15. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. What, what in the world is he saying here? Saved, yet so as by fire. One of the things I love about verse 15 is that there is a contrast between he himself and the work that he has done. Isn't that glorious? Even if we do fail to reach our full potential, which I would say likely is going to be the case for each of us in the room in some way, that ultimately our person is secure. As the fire purges away everything that's a pretense and a falsehood, our salvation is still secure. And the text is very clear here to differentiate between those two things. It's only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ that we can be saved. But the language here has the idea of through the fire. This was interesting to me. And the thought behind it is one rushing through the fire to save something as the building crumbles. That's kind of what God's doing is, okay, you got all these props and all this profile you had. Let me, I'm going to burn all that way, and in the midst of that, I'm going to save you. Isn't that amazing? That God can even save us from our religiosity and our 
false pretenses, even under the banner of Jesus Christ, he can keep us and hold us, and we will sense that uh, in this moment. An interesting side thought is the connection between this verse, the fiery aspect, and the Word of God that also is likened to fire. And there are several passages that uh, refer to the Word of God as a fire. May remind us today that the same Word of God that we opened this morning will test our service at the judgment seat of Christ. That same Word is available to us today. Let it, listen to me, let it burn it away today. Let the Word of God purify your motives and check your heart and prepare you and me for this moment where we will stand under the scrutiny of this same fire. So the Word of God is a gift to save us, even at times from ourselves. All right, go to Revelation 19. Let's spend a moment here as well. Second aspect of this positive preparation of the judgment seat of Christ. It's a gift, even if it's a bit uncomfortable at times. Revelation 19 in verse 14. Revelation 19 And if you would, please, verse 14. Here we are in the midst of God winding down things on planet Earth. And in verse 14, as Jesus shows up now, the second coming of Christ. Uh, Please don't confuse that with the rapture of the church. We've had the rapture and the interluding tribulation on Earth while the judgment seat of Christ has occurred in heaven. Verse 14, and the armies which were in heaven followed him. This would be us, brethren upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And just, man, just can you put yourself on the back of one of those horses and just look around in your mind's eye, and then you see who's out in front and what he's treading under his hooves and as he's setting up his kingdom? Uh, That's what awaits us. Look at chapter 20 and verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, those would be the tribulation saints, and for the word of God, in which did not worship the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their forehead or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. All right, number two, jot this down. So this would be another positive attribute of this judgment seat. It refines our works for eternity. Number two, jot this down. It establishes our positions in the millennial kingdom. This judgment establishes excuse me, establishes our positions in the millennial kingdom. And in verse 14 of chapter 19 that we just read, notice that Jesus is accompanied by the armies of heaven who are clothed in fine linen. That They have been put into position with Jesus Christ. They're riding behind him, maybe in ranks, uh, maybe in certain uh, sequences, but we are under his authority. We are in a place of harmony with him. And we simply watch as he conquers his foes. And so we see clearly that this judgment prepares us uh, for this moment. And so may we not view the judgment just in and of itself. It's preparing us for this ride, for this ride to earth and all that it will lead to. Uh, And then in verse 4 of chapter 20 that we just read, we see that John sees people enthroned in heaven with authority to rule. You see the saints of the church will reign with Christ as his bride. You also see the martyrs, those of the tribulation period. These would be the tribulation saints who have died for their faith, and both companies will reign with Christ during the thousand-year earthly literal reign of Jesus Christ. Now, one phrase jumped out at me. Look at verse 4 again of Revelation 20. I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. Us being judged positions us to be able to equitably and faithfully judge on behalf 
of our God. Isn't that interesting? And so we will most be able to judge, unlike maybe Matthew 7 that challenged us earlier, because we have been judged by God ourselves. And now in purity and in integrity, we can meet out God's judgment on behalf of God to those he has assigned for us to rule over. And so being judged by Jesus is not a bad thing. Being judged by Jesus prepares us for eternity to rule and reign and even judge with him for a thousand years. What a tremendous uh, moment and period to anticipate. A thousand years. A thousand years of judging and ruling with Jesus Christ. Now, just this takeaway, and we'll move to our last point this morning. I want you to think about this for a moment. Are you prepared for the judgment seat of Christ? And if you are ill-prepared, can you, based on the verses that we've just read, many of you have had the access to these verses for years and decades, can we blame God for being ill-prepared? I still think it's going to be jarring and shocking and overwhelming, but if we can hang and cling and be changed and conform to these verses, we can be prepared for the moment that awaits each of us. And if you tend to say, I don't know if I'm, I, I'm responsible for being ill-prepared, I'm telling you, on that day, you will have no excuse. I will have no excuse. God has given us every reason to be prepared for what he has next. All right, lastly, if you will, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25, and we're going to look at quickly some of the actual rewards or awards that will be handed out, given to God's people, again, only by God's grace and for his glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and if you would please, verse 25. So we're going to talk about these different crowns that God promises those who are willing to align with him and prepare for this moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And if you would, please, verse 25. Now, may I say this in general before we look at these specific crowns? Will it not be enough to see Jesus face to face? That's enough, right? Just being here. Um, but I do know that he yearns for more. He longs for more. And he, he tells us of these crowns in advance uh, so that we can have them. And may I say also, it's not so I can beat you out. Hey, look how many crowns I have compared to how many you have. Um, it, that's not the spirit of this day. It, I heard someone the other day said this. I thought this was good. You can't compete with me. I want you to win too. That, that's the spirit of this text. That's the heart of your pastor today. It's not, I'm trying to get one ahead of you or why don't you try to beat so-and-so next to you. Um, that's not the spirit here. I want all of us to rejoice in the winning uh, that happens when we align with God's word. All right, let's talk about these five crowns as we finish. First Corinthians 9, and if you would please, verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, all right, everything's under control in all things. Now, they do it, speaking of these who run these races referred to earlier, to obtain a corruptible, <laughs> corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. All right, let's talk about these quickly. First, this judgment offers the judgment seat of Christ in the positive side of the ledger of reward. This judgment offers an incorruptible crown. This judgment offers an incorruptible crown. The epistle 1 Corinthians written by Paul deems or values this crown to be imperishable in order to contrast it with the temporal awards, the temporal awards, uh, rewards that all of his contemporaries, those around him were striving to obtain that would fade and falter. He was striving for that which was incorruptible. If you're taking notes, you may jot down this quick summary of each of these. You say, Pastor, how do I position myself and prepare myself to receive this uh, reward and help others do the same? 
This reward is given to those who demonstrate self-denial and perseverance. So it's denial of self, temperate in all things. Those who receive it practice self-denial as well as perseverance. They endure, they endure, they endure to finish uh, the race that God has set before them. Now, may I say today quickly, a lot of us in this room are far more self-indulgent than we would care to own. Are you, are you with me on that? I, I would admit that. I like things a certain way, and I like them at a certain time, and, and my life is often all about what I want and what I don't want. Are we willing to let go of and to even deny things? When's the last time you've told yourself no just to get practice at it? Are we denying ourselves? Or is it all about me, how I feel and what I want and who I want near me and who I don't want near me? Where is the self-denial in God's people today? And so Paul says, let go of those things. Be in self-denial to anticipate this incorruptible crown. And I don't know where the crown will end up ultimately. We'll talk about that more in just a moment, but it's going to always be there. It's never going to fade. It's never going to falter. Isn't it worth it to give up then whatever temporal pleasure and pursuits that woo you and I? All right, number two, 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For all the Bible scholars in the room, the T's are all together, so if that helps you today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19. So this judgment offers first an incorruptible crown. I trust that you're living in light of that, giving up whatever is needed. 1 Corinthians 2, look if you will at verse 19. Paul says this, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Quickly go to Philippians 4. I think we have time. Philippians 4 and verse 1. There are two occurrences of this this reference, Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my brethren, Philippians 4.1, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Number two, this judgment offers a crown of rejoicing. It's mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, Philippians 4.1. Paul here is using it in reference not to a physical crown, but to his converts. Those that he had been able to lead to Christ, he viewed them as a crown of rejoicing so the first crown was given to those who demonstrate self-denial and perseverance this crown if you want to write this down is given to those who engage in pioneering evangelism they're launching out they're winning souls they're sharing the gospel this crown of rejoicing that is the byproduct the end result of winning others to christ one of the things that's amazing to me, and if I had to pick one that's my favorite that I can't wait to have and to, to then give to Christ in whatever way I can, some of you in this room are my crown of rejoicing. That's amazing to me. You gave me the privilege of being there at the moment you received Christ as Savior. My question to you is this, first to myself, where are others that I should be witnessing to? And then do you have that crown of rejoicing? And are you anticipating that and sharing that, not just with the Lord, but with that person You've had the privilege of leading to Christ. Some of you have led your kids and your grandkids to the Lord, and maybe tomorrow it's going to be your neighbor. I don't know who it is, but isn't that worth sacrificing for and living for, this crown of rejoicing? Second Timothy, let's go there for a moment, a third crown that's offered at this judgment. Let's view this through a positive lens with the help of the Lord. Second Timothy chapter 4, and if you would please, verse number 8. 
So this judgment, excuse me, offers an incorruptible crown. It offers a crown of rejoicing. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only. Paul says this isn't, this isn't exclusive to me, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Number three, jot this down, the judgment offers a crown of righteousness. A crown of righteousness. This is promised, if you want to jot this down, to those who love and anticipate the second coming of Jesus Christ. They're looking for his return. They're looking for his soon coming kingdom. They're living in anticipation. This crown of rejoicing or of righteousness is offered to those who love and anticipate the return of Christ. Um, One of the things I'm battling in my heart, probably you are as well, is this present world is just so loud, isn't it? And not, I don't know that, that, to me, the main struggle for me is all of the pleasures it promises. It's the confusion, it's the ignorance, it's the foolishness. And I just want to engage in it, and I want to rage against it, and I want to react to it. We need to live with anticipation. Not, it's not about this life. It's not just about the here and now. It's about eternity, living with a greater anticipation. Like Enoch, we ought to be so close to God, we just, you know what, we're so just come, let's walk together. Are we that close? Do we yearn to be closer to that God? Are we looking for the soon coming King and Savior, Jesus Christ? He offers to us the crown of righteousness. All right, two more. James chapter 1. Would you go there for a moment as well? James chapter 1 and verse 12. James chapter 1, and if you will, verse number 12 a fourth crown that this judgment alone offers to God's people. James 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Fourthly, this judgment offers a crown of life. A crown of life. This crown is referred to not just in James 1, 12, but also Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. It is bestowed upon those who persevere under trials. This crown of life, Um, I would say this applies primarily to those who have been martyred for their faith, but there may be other provisions for that that are allowed. Those who have suffered greatly, Um, and so may we be willing to anticipate that day. And if God calls us as his people to suffer in such a tremendous way, would we be faithful to the end? By the way, the sidebar on that would be the Christian life is not intended to be easy. If God rewards faithfulness under trial, then the trial is is of God. We're not suffering because we're in a fallen world. Primarily, we're suffering because that's God's will for us. How are we viewing that? Are we enduring until the end? This may apply to others who suffer greatly, even in our midst this this morning, but are willing to persevere uh, under those trials in a way that pleases and honors the Lord. And so may we thrive under suffering. May we thrive in suffering with a sweet spirit and disposition, knowing that God will reward it. All right, lastly, 1 Peter 5. Would you go there? 1 Peter chapter 5, and if you would please, let's look at um, verse number 10. I'm sorry, verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. Here Peter is writing to the, his fellow under-shepherds, those who pastor, those who are spiritual leaders, and in four, verse 4, he says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The judgment lastly offers a crown of glory. 
This crown is granted to those who lead in the local church, those who shepherd the flock in unselfish love, being a good example to others. And he describes that in the verses that precede it. Um, one of the things I'm finding as a pastor as the years go by, I started out with a lot of idealism and optimism and vision. And as the years go by, it's very easy. And some of you have been at it much longer than I. It's very easy, isn't it? The former pastors in the room to become a bit cynical, become a bit negative and focused only on the present tense. Since when is the ministry ever about the present? Ultimately, it's about the future. And God challenged me in that and has convicted me on that to live in light of this reward and being faithful to it. By the way, it's interesting. I think also you, even those who don't lead maybe in the local church in ways that at least come to your mind, can also be a part of this reward. What about the faithful deacons and church members and people who just partner with pastors and support and encourage them in the ministry? There's a little verse in Matthew 10 I've thought of often. Christ said, He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Um, and those of you in our church who are so kind to our family and partner with us, I think this reward possibly and likely is also for you as you lean into and support and partner with those of us who serve in leadership in the church. Uh, this judgment offers a crown of glory. Um, this morning I was in my small group room just vacuuming up a little bit after you messy small group people, whoever you were, um, and rearranging some things. And it was, I don't know, whatever time it was, still dark outside when I was here this morning. And I came across this on the, you know, I've joked about the, uh, the prayer list for junior church. God used this in my heart this morning. Little Henry, Rachel, if you can see his name on the left, Mr. John will take prayer requests. And last Sunday, Henry Carney, his prayer request was pastor today. Let's pray for pastor today. Is not that a part of what God's doing in here today? Is not what God's doing here a part of that over there? We're in this together. It matters. If God rewards it, then it really matters. And so may we encourage each other in that today. Encourage, encourage, encourage that it's worth it to be faithful uh, to the Lord. Now, may I say this just kind of to bring this to conclusion, this, these crowns. There may be literal crowns. We don't know, again, all of the, the specifics of this in a tangible sense. But they are, in reality, different ways of of experiencing the rewards of eternal life. Just having eternal life is going to be tremendous, but these degrees of reward will likely revolve around some increased capacity or responsibility, these different crowns that we have been given. Um, Jonathan Edwards used this analogy, because I don't know about you, I don't know if I can grapple with the fact that some, reward, some will be rewarded more than others, and I thought this was a great way of putting it. Every vessel that's cast into this ocean of happiness, he's referring to this judgment, is full. Though there are some vessels far larger than others, and there uh, shall be no such thing as envy in heaven, but perfect love shall reign throughout the whole of society. And his idea is this, we each will have a certain size vessel, and when we dip into God's grace and reward, each of our vessels will be full. Just some of us will have a little different size vessel than others. We all will be satisfied with God's provision. Uh, we all will enjoy eternity, but there are differing levels of reward uh, that God will give. Now, the last verse is this. Go to Revelation 4. Lest you think all these crowns are about us and, hey, look at me with all five stacked on top of my brow. That's not the spirit here at all. Revelation 4, look, if you will, at verse number 10. And this is what should motivate us and drive us this morning to live in light of this judgment seat. 
It's the one who's seated upon it. Look at verse 10. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne. Notice that he's seated there. And worship him that liveth forever and ever. Notice this phrase. This is interesting. And cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Ultimately, these crowns are not about us. They're about Jesus. Giving us, listen to me, something tangible to, 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 to physically, tangibly, in an evidential way, show what God has done through us. And we're able to give to him the benefit of that. You ever been in a birthday party? One of the most pressure-cooked moments is when the kids open the gifts, right? And I'm talking when your kid's not the one that's, you know, the birthday's for. So everybody's seated. And let's all be honest. The only reason you gave my kid cake and ice cream and whatever bouncy house you threw them in is for the gift that you're about to get from my kid, okay? And, and it, there's like this kind of pr- where, and you see the parents trying to coach up the kid who's getting all the gifts, but you're like, everybody can tell if the kid really likes what you bought him or not, right? And there's this moment of you, you want it to be satisfactory. You had everybody else in the circle in the room, but also to this kid. You ever forgotten the gift? Hey, we'll get next time. We'll get you. Do you ever get an invite for the next birthday party? Probably not. But can you imagine this moment? That's the spirit here. I don't want it for me. I just want to be a contributor to this moment of praise and worship and glory. I've received plenty to then be a contributor. And so this moment of crowns is only so that we might crown him in our own lives and hearts before others as Lord and Savior. If your hands are empty as you fall in worship to Jesus in this moment, you can't blame him. You must own where you've mismanaged what he has given to you. All right, to end with this illustration tonight, I was reading a book the other day. It was talking about, do you know what, um, are you familiar with uh, the Toy Story movie series? There's however many Toy Story 12 or whatever we're up to now. I don't think there's that many for the record. Um, but the idea for Toy Story, I was reading a biography of the men. Pixar is the, is the media company that generated that movie series in collaboration with Disney. And this article was talking about where this came from. The idea came from a gentleman named John Lasseter, who is still, I think, in some leadership role with Pixar Media. The article said this, it sprang, or the book I was reading said this, it sprang from a belief which he and Steve Jobs, who has his renown with Apple, but also was involved in Pixar, he and Steve Jobs shared that products, listen to this, that products have an essence to them, a purpose for which they are made. This is interesting to hear unregenerate men say this because it applies in, in areas beyond what they were thinking. They said this, if the objects were to have feelings, these would be based upon its desire to fulfill its essence. The purpose of a glass, for example, is to hold water. If it had feelings, it would be happy when full and, empty, and sad when empty. As for toys, here, this was interesting, their purpose is to be played with by kids, and thus their existential fear is to being discarded or upstaged by newer toys. Can I tell you this this morning, that has spiritual implications, because each of us have been made for a purpose. God designed us. God gave us a vessel. He gave us a mind. He gave us abilities. And when he gave them to us, he had a very specific purpose in mind. And this moment will be the moment we find out whether we used it for his purpose. What are your fingertips for today? What's your mind for? What's your body for? What's your resources, your time on this planet? Are you using it for its intended purpose?
Only when we're full of and committed to God's calling will we have that kind of purpose and mission. Um, I end with this thought today. Someone was talking of the judgment seat of Christ, and they said this. This is our ultimate accountability. Let's live with purpose. Let's live in repentance. Let's be aware moment by moment that right now counts forever. What we think, what we say, what we feel, what we do, and what we don't do, they matter. We matter to Christ. We matter forever. Very soon we will report in. This is solemnizing. This is dignifying. It is also encouraging. Everything we're doing today matters. Are we living in light of the judgment seat of Christ? Here's the question we're done. Will you choose to fully understand and live in light of the judgment seat of Christ? It's inclusion and it's positivity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today.